0: You are listening to Forward, a podcast of island readers and writers. This is your host, Taylor Mace. We are joined today on the podcast by author Elizabeth Atkinson. She is the author of five middle grade books, including The Island of Beyond, which is set uh, on a fictional island in Maine, and the most recent, Flyback Agnes, which was published this spring and is the winner of the 2020 International Book Award for Children's Fiction. Elizabeth, thank you for joining me and congratulations on that honor.
1: Well, thanks, Taylor, and thanks for inviting me on your podcast. It's fun to chat with you.
0: We've been fortunate to have Elizabeth um, in Island Readers and Writers programs for the past few years. And I've had the opportunity to um, be there for one of her workshops with um, middle grade students. And she just does a wonderful job of, of pulling creativity out of them and getting them to think about character and plot in different ways. And one of the things that stands out about Elizabeth's novels is those quirky characters. Can you share how you choose these characters?
1: You know, that's a question people ask a lot. And I often have kids say to me, how how did you come up with these characters? How do you know us so well? And um, really uh, a a piece of me is in every one of my protagonists, which um, I think a lot of authors would agree. That's kind of what happens. You insert yourself a little bit. And so I definitely populate my novels with people I like, um, people who interest me. They are never fully based on someone I know. I don't like think, oh, this is gonna be Mrs. Blah Blah from next door. But what I will do sometimes is pull pieces of different people I know. I also get very inspired by strangers. So, um, for example, there was this really colorful grocery clerk at Shaw's for years, and I just loved her. And I I kind of inserted her into one of my novels, even though I didn't know her at all. I just can imagine what she would be like. So um, so I do a little bit of that. It's kind of a little uh, mixture of things that I do. but. Um, I just like inventing people, I guess.
0: And when you're having in, in a workshop with kids, how do you get them to think about who their protagonist
1: might be? Well, there are a lot of ways to get started in character workshops. Um, but, you know, the most important thing when you're writing a story or writing a book is you want to enjoy the time you're writing it. So you don't want to write about something you wouldn't want to read um, and something that doesn't interest you. So think of people or characters um, who interest you. I also use visuals a lot. I I do like um, think of people in movies and television, in magazines. Sometimes I can just kind of surf the web. If I'm trying to think of different kinds of people who might be, you know, playing a certain sport and I'll look at them and think, is this my character? Is this what they look like? Is that now, who are they? Uh, What's their backstory? Um, So really the most important thing is you create a protagonist who interests you, who you want to explore, who might have problems um, that, you know, you might not necessarily have those problems, but it might, something that might interest you, challenges or issues that they possess that might interest you in exploring.
0: Now you've had uh, somewhat of a varied career, um, mostly in the arts, um, if, if I'm correct. Could you share how you um, came to start writing middle grade
1: novels? Sure, yes. Yeah. So. Um, I always fantasized about being an author as a kid. Um, Books really became my friends when I was uh, probably in the middle school years. Um, And that's why I write for this age group. Um, It was a very hard time for me. A lot of people usually um, identify certain periods in their life that were challenging. For me, it was middle school. It was not high school. I felt like I overcame a lot of angst in high school. Um, So the middle grade years, I just felt lost, invisible. I didn't feel like I had a lot of hope, I guess, about who I would become. Um, And then I would start, and and really, um, this was the early 70s, not a lot of contemporary fiction was available to uh, middle school kids. Um, However, Judy Blume started writing contemporary novels for that Mm -hmm. age group. And suddenly someone was writing about what was going on in my head and her characters um, were people I wanted for friends. So I really identified with the stories. Um, They were transformative for me. They gave me some confidence. They helped me with my self doubt. So at that time I thought, I really want to weave stories that can empower and transform people's lives and particularly children because I just had a very hard time growing up with my own um self-confidence and um sense of identity. Um and it got stronger as I got older. So a lot of my um a lot of the times I'm trying to pass on the message hang in there. Things will be okay. Stick to your true self. Um don't think so much about the popular kids. They have just as much self-doubt as you do. They just might have a lot more charisma. <laughs> so um, so uh, that was really when I first saw myself as a writer. I kept writing in different ways. And I like to say that I kind of circled around publishing a book. I did everything but publish a book, even though in the back of my head, that's what I wanted to do. So I worked in publishing for years um i taught english literature i ran a pen pal organization i was a an assistant dec- executive director of an arts foundation and then finally i said to myself you know this book isn't going to write itself i have got to carve out time to really dedicate myself so i gave myself a deadline when my youngest um mate went off to kindergarten my daughter madeline was in fourth grade i said this is the year they're going off to school I'm going to carve out time every day to write a book and, and that's when it started in 1998. Um, my f- first two novels were never published uh, and so my third was finally published in 2008. So it took 10 years till I actually realized my dream.
0: Was that difficult that not getting those first two novels published and how did you keep going?
1: yes it was very difficult very discouraging um it takes a lot of resiliency and discipline i don't have a lot of both so (laughs) i had to work on that um the way it got started and really the hardest part obviously about writing a book is you think am i wasting my time and no one's giving me any deadlines uh most fiction is not sold on contract by proposing an idea most publishers want to see the finished product. So it's not like, Hey, I have an idea. You sell it to a publisher and they give you a deadline that rarely happens. It happens if you're very established and you're writing a series and they want to see the next book, but I write standalone fiction. So no one's waiting for me to write my next book. I mean, no one's giving me a deadline. So what I did to get started, um, back then in 1998, Delacorte press, which has since been absorbed by one of the big maybe random house, but they were the premier children's uh, literature publishing company in New York. And they had a contest every year for unpublished authors. So I read all of the past winners in the past, whatever, 15, 20 years. And I thought, oh, I can write a book like this. I'll, I can win this contest. Easy. And I spent a year working, almost a year working on um, my first novel um, and entered the contest expecting to win something. First, second, third, honors, anything. Um, and you can imagine my shock when I didn't win <laughs> anything. <No. laughs> But I did receive a handwritten note from one of, the, one of the judges and she said to me, I really like your writing style. You need to work on this manuscript, find yourself an agent and you can resubmit it to me at Delacorte Press. Um, I did all that. I worked very hard. I was thrilled assuming, okay, now I'm going to get published. And as soon as I sent it to uh, my agent, sent it to her, she rejected it. And she said, you know, if you ever write another book, let me know. She never bought any of my books, that particular editor. But it did teach me by entering a contest, which I highly recommend if you have a hard time disciplining yourself with a deadline. Um, it taught me a lot about the whole process and um, how to write a book and how to examine other books and how they work and um, so and how to get an agent. It, it helped me quite a bit. So um I, when I ended up writing a second novel and I um, actually got a, another agent and that book never sold, I did hang on to that agent who was very encouraging and very supportive. She's been a close friend of mine ever since. And so um, she got my third novel published in 2008. Uh, Susie Cohen is my agent and she's just fantastic. So. Um, Yeah, and Susie definitely, you know, you're almost there, you really got far, you know, most people don't publish their first few novels. So she was just a really great support for me.
0: When you're talking to middle schoolers in writing workshops, what would you say is the most important
1: piece of advice that you give them? What I tell them is, you know, you don't have to grow up to learn how to write a book or write a story even, but it's very important to learn how to write well. It will get you very far in life. Uh, writing is probably the most persuasive skill you can have. Um, it's, it's. I just can't emphasize the importance of being being able to write well and express yourself well and diplomatically and logically and thoroughly. And so it's important in email, it's important when you're applying for a job, it's important when you're writing a letter to someone you love. So um, even if they have no interest in writing, I understand that, but um, writing like any life skill is something you really um, should hone and learn to do well to succeed in life. It makes life actually much easier if you write well.
0: Can you tell us, a little bit about your most recent book, Flyback Agnes, I know it came out right before the quarantine started. And and you mentioned on your blog, um, just a little bit about the difficulty of that and the the seemingly, seemingly triteness of it, but how um, you still wanted to get great stories out there to kids, especially during this time. Can you tell us about that book?
1: Sure. Yes. Flyback Agnes. um, I think the book release, uh, the book party release and book launch was March 7th, I think. And um, I actually try to do collaborations um, when I do my book launches. So it helps raise money for some kind of literacy organization. And so I worked with the local charter school for this one. And it was a lot of fun, but the few days before the launch, I said to the school administration, are you going to shut down or what, am I, what are we going to do? And they said, oh no, nobody's worried about the pandemic. Don't worry about it. Everybody will be at your book launch. Well, I think my book launch is on a Saturday or Sunday and literally the school closed down the, on Monday. So I just squeaked in with a book launch. It was quite amazing. Um, so um, this, the tagline of Flyback Agnes is, Agnes Moon is fed up with her old life, so she invents a new one, never expecting the two worlds to collide. So this book is basically about 12-year-old Agnes Moon who uh, hates everything about her life, her name, her parents' recent divorce, her best friend has just kind of abandoned her for a, a very popular girl, new girl in school, and she's also upset about her changing body. So she gets the opportunity to actually live with her dad because her parents are newly divorced. So she gets the opportunity to live with her dad that summer. And she decides to reinvent herself all the way down to giving herself a new name. She gives herself a new family, everything. Because her dad's pretty isolated in the house working all the time. So she goes out and just kind of hangs out with kids in this new town. And um, soon her lies and fibs really start to stack up and she gets very confused because she starts making very close friendships. So I won't tell you any more than that, but it implodes into quite a mess. (laughs) And to see how Agnes gets out of all of her um, lies and fibs um, is probably the most interesting part. I have to say, um, I started writing this book in 2015 and then we entered into a culture and a political scene where lying um, became very controversial and has become the norm. Um, So this book has presented all sorts of ethical questions about why it's not right to lie. And um, so that's been an added bonus during this period in time. And it's become um, a great discussion point when I do talk to kids.
0: Elizabeth will um, treat us to a reading from Flyback Agnes um, starting
1: on page one. So the book opens up on the first day of um, Agnes's summer vacation and her mom has convinced her to go into their little Vermont town to kind of celebrate and have lunch and go shopping. So that's, she doesn't want to, she's not happy about uh, the summer starting. So that's where we begin at chapter one. Chapter one, I was surrounded by racks and racks of swimsuits as if circled by sharks. Mo, do we have to do this now? I asked my mom. Everyone calls her Mo, which is short for Maureen. Come on, said Mo, waving at the counter for assistance like she was landing an airplane. This is the perfect way to celebrate the end of the school year. I wasn't in the mood to celebrate. Yesterday had been my last day at Pico Primary, the only school I had ever known. In the fall, I would be moving over to the enormous regional middle school along with hundreds of other new seventh graders from all over Kettleboro, Vermont. Just thinking about the maze of hallways and a confusing cafeteria in that gigantic cement building made my stomach cramp. I already told you, I said. I don't want a new... What can I help you with, ladies? The saleswoman chirped as she fluttered across the store. I crossed my arms and scowled. This is the first day of my daughter's summer break, announced Mo, and she needs a new bathing suit, not nothing too pricey, just a cute, sporty number that shows off her new curves. My face instantly burned. Ooh, let's think about this, said the saleswoman, staring at me as if I were a mannequin in the window. I would love to find something to complement those gorgeous, exotic tones. Exotic was supposed to be the nice way of describing the way I looked, but that word made me cringe. I'd inherited my dad's tawny skin and piercing dark eyes, tossed together with Moe's jeans, her coiled copper hair and excessive freckles. The combination makes it hard for people to label me, no matter how hard they try. And in the white world of Kettleboro, they try a lot. Within minutes, Mo had gathered a dozen suits. Let's just get this over with, I grumbled as I grabbed the hangers and trudged toward the dressing rooms. Halfway across the store, I overheard the saleswoman ask, so she's adopted? No one ever thought I could hear that question, but I always heard, even when they didn't come right out and say it. Nope, Mo whispered loudly, as if everyone in the entire world needed to know. Her dad's half Korean and I'm mostly Scottish with a dash of Lebanese on my paternal grandfather's side. Sometimes I wish I had been adopted. That would explain a lot. Reluctantly, I tried on the first suit and stared at myself in the three-way mirror. Part of me still believed that one day I would wake up and find myself as I used to be, scrawny and shapeless. But standing under the fluorescent lights in a navy blue one-piece... I looked curvier than ever. Can I see? Mo called from the other side of the curtain. I bet that orange one with spaghetti straps is sensational. This is a waste of time, Mo. I don't even like swimming anymore. Hang tight, my mother commanded. I'll check the racks again. I ignored her and changed back into my clothes. Nothing for you, sweetie, asked the saleswoman. As I handed her the pile of rejects, I shook my head and found Mo by the bikinis. She held one in front of me, pastel pink and lacy. Not a chance, I hissed, and we finally left the store. And that's the first part of chapter one.
0: Oh, I can just feel her teenage, almost teenage angst and just recall going through that as probably most
1: teenage girls do. Well, yeah. I mean, the worst thing for me every year was buying a new bathing suit. I that just still is. Yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> I don't bother anymore. Right. But I mean, I, it was just the worst and it, and girls, a lot of girls suffer through it and having to look at themselves under fluorescent lights and especially that age when your body's changed and you just want your old self back. It's hard. It's very hard. A lot of, uh, and you know, a lot of, I probably boys don't realize what it's like to go through. I'm sure boys go through similar mm-hmm. self doubt I mean I just remember often tears, and my mother would try so hard and you know say, "Oh, you look so cute, but I just would be in tears. I just didn't want to wear a bathing suit. yeah it, it's a t- it's it's a one that a lot of kids <laughs> relate to for sure and something I remember vividly, so that's what i i um It's funny because people ask why I write for this age group and um, I think it's because my 11 year old self has something to say and something to share. (laughs) Uh, You know, and maybe not at any other age. I don't have such strong opinions, but I have a lot to say about all my doubts that I had at that age. And um, I just think it's a very hard time.
0: I've talked to other middle grade authors that say a similar thing. Specifically, um, John David Anderson, he said during that, that time period was difficult for him as well. And because it's the time in your life when you feel so strongly, you're starting to f- just feel so many emotions and, and just feel every one of them so strongly and, and not necessarily know how to react to them.
1: That's right. And a lot of it's hormonal, it's chemistry. Right. And- a lot of um, passionate feelings are coming up. But also it's the period where you're separating from your parents and you start to realize your parents don't know everything and aren't perfect. And you can't believe it. Like, wait, I might not agree with them on this. And so that's also very hard awakening to realize the world isn't so cushy and safe, perhaps. And for a lot of kids, it never is. But I, but it's when they, and, and for some kids who have a very dysfunctional family, they start to realize at that age, it could be different. I see other people living differently. So it's a, it's a large, uh, it, it's definitely an expansive period of awakening in many different ways.
0: Well, thank you, Elizabeth, for sharing um, that passage from fly back Agnes, which is out now.
1: That's right. And I think I mentioned to you also Taylor, um, I originally had an epilogue at the end of the book, um, letting readers know what happened to Agnes years later, and for anybody who reads the book, you'll you'll know why I had that. Um, in the end, my um, editor decided to delete the epilogue, but did tell me I could offer it for free to any readers. So if anyone wants the epilogue, the bonus chapter, they're welcome to go onto my website and contact me and I'm happy to send it to them. You know, I'm doing a lot of Zoom visits. I'm happy to do them for free with schools and book clubs. And just I'm I'm excited to be working with island readers and writers again this um, fall um, with the kids on Beals Island. I can't wait to see them again on Zoom. Um, so I just want to help them whatever way I can and support teachers and support kids. So if anybody, if it helps to read a book and talk about it, I would love to do that.
0: We will share Elizabeth's email address so you can contact her about uh, Zoom visits and book club discussions. Thank you so much, Elizabeth.
1: Thanks so much, Taylor. Great talking to you.
0: Thank you for listening to Forward, a podcast of Island Readers and Writers. Get our new episodes every other Wednesday by subscribing to Forward on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. For more about Island Readers and Writers programs, visit www.islandreadersandwriters.org.